Hi, today on Beyond Queer Stories, we have Alex with us. Alex is a white woman of color. She's a first-generation American with parents who immigrated from Egypt to find better lives. Alex was raised in the white flight communities where she was de facto white, as all Arabs are considered white. Alex felt suffocated while in the white flight bubble and moved to Chicago for college where she studied peace, justice, and conflict studies and got really involved with the intersection of education and the criminal justice system. Alex now works as a community organizer for Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan profit org working to get young people, especially young people of color, to give a shit about what's happening in Chicago. So welcome, Alex. We're excited to have you. Thank Yay. you. <laughs> so, um... Hey, what's hey, up? What's up? <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you one question before we get started. Sure. Um, so what identities do you feel most influence your experiences? Definitely being like this intersection between like Egyptian and American um, is a big one. Like all the different identities. Being Unitarian Universalist um, is definitely one. Unitarian Universalism, for those who don't know, is we have like seven principles that we kind of follow and it's basically somewhat like humanism the some of the principle one of the principles is we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person we believe using the rule of law in a just way using democracy in a just way and that we're all an interconnected web of life and that's how i was raised yeah so in your bio you mentioned a white flight community can you like elaborate what that is I've yeah for sure <laughs> So after, I think, emancipation, many freed slaves and many black people moved to the north to get away from the south, and they moved into urban areas where there were more jobs and more opportunity, economic opportunities, and of course, emancipation didn't get rid of racism. It was still crazy prevalent, and so the majority, if not all, of the white people that were living in those urban areas that were occupying and bringing tons of economic prosperity to those neighborhoods and that had had like wealth profited from slavery, like got scared of all of these black people moving into these urban areas. And so they took their money and they left and they moved to nearby uh, suburbs and neighborhoods, brought all their money with them. And that's why, like, especially places like Detroit, it's really disinvested in but you go to places where i'm from which is like birmingham bloomfield hills michigan which is only 45 minutes north of detroit but like you find some of the biggest houses and it's crazy um and all those people not only did they move away but also it's like when i was being raised in the school system it's not like outwardly racist but it's don't go to detroit because you'll get shot don't go to detroit because you'll get mugged don't go to detroit there's nothing there don't walk around they don't say it's because of the black people but like that's the only people that are in detroit because you can't leave there's no mass transportation it's crazy mm -hmm. like if you're in detroit you don't have a car like there's no way out so yeah, that's what a white flight community is. <laughs> a bunch that, of white yeah. people who have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I have heard of white flight, but I didn't realize the people who fly, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> are called, like their new community that they move to is called a white flight community, or that people use that term. So that's It's like helpful. a white flight phenomenon. I mean, yeah. yeah, the people who move, like never would call themselves that. <laughs> they would right. never say that. Like I learned that term after moving to Chicago and being a peace justice complex studies major and like okay. studying um, how like disinvestment in urban areas works yeah, and has worked historically. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? It sounds like you have a really interesting and very important job. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. So I work full time now for Chicago Votes, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization that works in Chicago to get young people, especially young people of color, really caring about what's going on in this city. You know, we're called Chicago Votes because we're trying to get them, you know, the majority of our work is get out of the vote, getting them to vote, getting them to give a shit about like when elections are and who's even on the ballot. And we do that in creative ways because at Chicago Votes, we are all young people 
and majority of us are young people of color as well. So, you know, when we're going to high schools, we have our two big projects. We have our Cook County Jail Votes Project, um, where we go inside Cook County Jail and we register people to vote. And we have, you know, small conversations with as many people as we can when we're registering them to vote of like, you know, there's judges on this ballot. Like, this is super important because like governor has clemency, you know, things like that. And then we facilitate elections in the jail, which I think is really huge. And then we do our parade to the polls program, which we partner with CPS and we get first time voters that are 18 years old, um, usually from schools that like would have absolutely no um, resources given to them to get their students engaged. And we put them on a bus and we you know, play some music, take pictures, try to make it fun and take them to go vote for their very first time. So yeah, we do a whole bunch of different things, just trying to be creative in Chicago with young people. We also do like give a shit happy hours. That's where I met Shabby. Yeah, awesome. um, one of the places we met. One of the places yeah. that we met is like um, we work with because while we're trying to get young people of color in Chicago excited about politics, um, we realize that a lot of young people of color in Chicago are creatives and have all these artistic elements about them that have been institutionally like just squashed through our schooling system. And so realizing that like uplifting those voices and artistic expressions, whatever it is, um, can really help to get people and like bridge that gap between like your artistic expression, you know, can we can create environments and spaces in Chicago that are really for that and uplift that, you know, and that's important to get involved because like we could do that through our schooling system, you know, if we wanted to, we can make schools so artistic um, doesn't necessarily mean we have to raise taxes. We can just, you know, not have so many police officers, <laughs> you know, things like that. Trying to make it, I think one of the biggest things we're trying to do with Chicago Votes is civic education in a way that's not like top down civic education, how it usually is of like, these are the three branches of government and blah, blah, blah. That's really boring. But like, I got, I like almost failed my AP government class, which shows that like my job now with Chicago Votes. And like what I'm doing now, like someone would be so crazy. Like you failed your government class, and obviously because it sucked. Like because right. it was they don't make it interesting at all. It wasn't interesting at all. It was teaching to the AP test, which I got a one on. Like <laughs> so, like obviously it was a horrible class because I don't remember anything from it, and it didn't teach me anything that would actually help me to be a citizen and like take control and you know be empowered in my life. So yeah, Chicago is, we just do a whole bunch of stuff, trying to be creative, <laughs> trying to get young people to care. <laughs> um, are you doing anything in 2019? I know you did a lot. In- You're doing way too much. Oh. For this municipal yeah. election? Yeah. The crazy thing is that the next election is February 26th, which is municipal elections. And so our mayor is up for election. Our entire city council, which they're called aldermen. That's why every, that's a big reason why so many people are confused. They don't even know what an alderman is. But if you just said city council, people would much more get it, I think. Um, so entire city council is up for election. That's 50 people. Um, that, yeah, it's 50 offices because we have 50 wards in Chicago. Um, and then. Our city treasurer and city clerk are up for election. And so that's, I mean, that's just four. And then we're going to have referendums and stuff on the ballot. But like, that's just four offices. Whereas our last ballot was like crazy, like hundreds, right? So I'm hoping that, you know, this will be less of a struggle to get people to like do like their ballot ready or like looking at, you know, the different people doing a little bit of research. Um, but the biggest issue is that. So many people, since we just had an election, they don't know that there's another election. They're like, we just had an election. (laughs) What are you talking about? And so that's a struggle um, because obviously no one else is going to be talking about it except for Chicago Votes and like the actual organizations that care about people voting um, because there's definitely, you know, that tactic of the Chicago machine to like let's just not educate anybody so they won't come vote and just the people that we want to vote will vote Mm -hmm. um and that way we can just keep securing our offices and not doing anything for the people but um it's this election is going to be I mean this election is more important than Harold Washington election Mm -hmm. like that's how crazy important this election is like Rahm Emanuel is not running Mm -hmm. 
Ed Burke was just served, like indicted for federal charges, federal corruption charges. And now Tony Prewinkle has to like talk about those charges mm -hmm. <laughs> because like she's gotten money related to Ed Burke and that whole machine. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. And so now she, like she's getting tied up into it inevitably. And so it's, yeah, it's definitely a super big election. And we're hoping that because young people voted, you know, at the biggest voter turnout that it, we've had since like the 80s. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that will, you know, I say hopefully, but like, <laughs> we're going to just keep doing, you know, our parade to the polls work, Cook County Jail votes work, registering people to vote. And trying to have like give a shit happy hours about issues that young people really care about. Yeah. And just keep doing the work and, you know, see how it goes. <laughs> That's awesome. That'll be good timing for this episode, actually, because yeah. it'll be coming out right before that election. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely hard work because I was trying to register some youngins to vote at this basketball it's like Hoops for Hope or Hoops for Peace event. And there's just like these young kids and they're like just staring at the voter registration form and they're just like not <laughs> doing it. They're just like staring at it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, but it's, it's like completely something completely foreign mm -hmm. and it like looks like homework. It looks like something they have to fill out. And it's like so programmed to like not want to do it yeah. and just want to go like do basketball because like that's what's going to get them into college mm -hmm. you know like what is this voter registration form gonna do for me to get me into college and like have a good life that kind of stuff mm -hmm. which is and so I was trying I was like so frustrated trying to get this dude to like register and I was just I, I realized that I was like going after I finished talking to him and he like didn't register I realized that I was like using I was talking negatively I was like like, you have to vote because they don't want you to because of all these issues, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I should have been like, do you want free college? Like, do you want the CTA to be free? Yeah. Like, do you want, like, things like that that are, like, totally reasonable mm -hmm. um, and can happen in Chicago. Believe me, there's plenty of money. But, yeah, I think that's something with 2019 is that put, like, a very positive spin on this, you know? Wow. <laughs> I'm like I was already impressed but like I'm even more impressed because I didn't realize this was like I literally had no idea it was an election in February yeah it's crazy so, like, how I, many people don't like if I didn't talk to you today I would have been like what like what do you mean there's a whole election you would have known because I, yeah, I would have told you we're just slowly gearing up with all the things we're doing but we already have like way too much planned yeah like last election we it was crazy Literally, our capacity every single week every single <laughs> week we happening. had yeah <laughs> it was crazy we had all because and it's also because we had all these different organizers doing all this different work yeah. and i think that we're much more organized for this election as well and like knowing like where our strengths are because mm. um, we were just going crazy last election like event 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 just do it go this election like we're more it's like work harder not or work smarter not harder, not harder. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> for sure. I think it'd be a good time for you to like segue into your story. Yeah, so my story, I'm going to do it on my Egyptian American identity because that has been something that I've probably struggled with almost all my life. My dad... My mom and dad both immigrated to the U.S. from Egypt at different times. My dad immigrated here. Uh, he did his medical school in Egypt, and then he moved here because, as a doctor, you'll get paid much. You could get much better paying jobs um, in the U.S. doing more as well. And he has a passion for research, and so that's. I think it was more funded in the U.S. And then we cut a lot of funding for mental health. Um, and then my mom came here when she was nine years old because it's very, it was very dangerous time in Egypt where, I mean, it's pretty much like that now still, but at that time, if like someone didn't like you, they could go to the government and say, this person's talking bad about the government. And then that person will go missing, whether they're just like being taken, being tortured, whatever. And so that almost happened to my grandfather and like just serendipitous luck, he, you know, was told beforehand that someone like did that, that someone put in a note. And so they just packed up and they left and they moved to Texas. And so I think that, you know, when my parents moved here, 
especially my mother because she went to like a British school to like in Egypt so she had like an Egyptian British accent and she was moving to Texas with their accent and so like she doesn't say it but I'm she probably like that was a huge cultural shock Mm -hmm. and like completely feeling different than all of these little Texan American kids and and so they ended up having me and my brother here in the U.S. and they completely like assimilated me and my brother like they wanted us they only taught us English and teach us Arabic and they I think they tried to Americanize us like really the best they could and so I was born in Connecticut but then we moved to Michigan when I was also like nine years old and I was put in like the white flight community of Detroit, right outside of Detroit. And so my neighborhood, it was a lot of like rich, white, Jewish neighborhood. And in my school, like we had two public schools. One of them was like all white and like super racist, like outwardly racist. Like they had major issues with like writing. People like students were writing slurs on the bathroom walls and that kind of stuff. And then in my school, we were called the diverse school because we had like black students and we had white students. And then maybe there were like two other Arabs kind of thing. And then how it was, was like all of the regular alternative classes were where all the black and like poorer students were. And then all the AP and honor students were mostly white and more wealthier students. And so my parents wanted, you know, AP honors. So like I grew up with mostly like around white students. And whenever I took all the standardized tests, Arabs, there's no like MENA, Middle East, North African section. Like there was a petition for that. And that was like put down by the government, I guess. So I was just considered white. And so I just grew up like, just a white person I think (laughs) like I didn't really think about that much because they also didn't talk about race like one time in my entire schooling which you think they would considering all of the racism (laughs) but (laughs) but they didn't um I had to learn about that later and so I ended up moving to Chicago because like I have to get out of you know this little bubble that I'm in and in Chicago and DePaul University is where I started doing peace, justice, and conflict studies. And I, you know, started meeting like other Arabs and other like Egyptians and like actually starting to be like, oh, like identify. Like I met this one Egyptian girl <laughs> at like an involvement fair and I got so excited. We both were like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was like, you know, that was an experience. And then I started working more and more with people who identified as black in Chicago through my different organizing at DePaul and some of my friends would tell me like no Alex you're black (laughs) and I'm like because you're Egyptian North African and I'm just like that was like no way that's crazy and several like that happens like all the time kind of now especially with Chicago votes I'm probably like the second lightest person that works at Chicago votes And so that's just such a weird thing for me because I'm like, definitely don't identify as black because I'm so light skin, white passing kind of thing. And that's just, so I met this, um, when I say like I'm a white woman of color, the reason where I got that from is this one woman, she was part of the Women's March and she was Egyptian and I was sitting down with her and she was like, yeah, I'm a white woman of color. And I'm like, wow, I totally vibe with that. Um, (laughs) That makes sense to me because like I definitely have grown up like white and people, I say that, like I say I've grown up white, but at the same time, like if you walked into my house when I was a child, like there was so much Egyptian shit everywhere and like, (laughs) and it's like Americanized but like both my mom and dad, they speak Arabic to each other. I think also a reason I have this issue between Egyptian and American is because they didn't teach us Arabic. So like in Arabic is such, the language is such a part of the culture just because like in Arabic, they have so many different words for like love and feelings. And in English, you can, like when you're telling someone you love them in Arabic, is like so much deeper <laughs> than in English. And so I like miss a lot of those language culture elements yeah so like in my houses and like even now like 
my mom just has like hundreds of papyrus <laughs> just laying around. <laughs> that was like a joke. Like, you want a papyrus? Like, give someone, give your teachers papyrus. Cause like my grandfather like was a hoarder in Egypt and like would just buy tons of stuff and just keep them. And then my parents had to go through all of it. And so that's just, you know, something I've slowly, like every day, you know, every year or something, I'll meet more Egyptians and slowly be like, I really need to learn this language. I've only been to Egypt once in my life. I went when in like 2010, so I was like 14 years old. And that was before the revolution. And I just went with my mom and dad and my brother. Super fucking hot. It was in July. It was like, we were on and we went to Abu Simbel, which is on like the equator, and it was like 126 degrees. What? And in Egypt, like since I'm Egyptian, and like people can tell I'm Egyptian, they can tell I'm like American, but they can still tell like I'm Egyptian. And so I had to wear like you know short sleeve up to here. I had to wear like longer pants, kind of thing. You can't wear shorts, anything like that, or else because it's very conservative, um, especially for women. So I've only been once, and that was like. I was so young and I think I expected like this metropolis. I don't know what I expected, but then many parts of Egypt are very dirty and underdeveloped. And so <laughs> we went to Alexandria with my dad and I think I told him one time, I was like, it's so dirty. And he was like, I'm sorry, you're disappointed. And I felt really bad. <laughs> but like, I didn't know any of the history about Egypt. I didn't really understand, you know, at all anything about this country and now I like wish I really need to go back but you know my parents wouldn't let me go back when it was like during the revolution and things like that they've been back like three four times since Mm -hmm. then they just won't take me (laughs) and my brother so I just have to like buy a ticket myself and go (laughs) just to go and immerse myself in the language but um yeah it's been it's been very interesting being like you know, I'll say, like, I'm American-Egyptian, and then, you know, my dad will be like, no, you're Egyptian-American. And for me, like, it feels, it's like a weird thing. Like, I want to say it feels more American-Egyptian because, like, how I speak and, like, my everyday is in the U.S. and, like, I've only lived in the U.S. and, like, I wear dad sweaters and, like, not, (laughs) I don't want Egyptian clothes. Egyptian clothes is, like, regular clothes, too, basically. But, like, you know, I feel so much more American But I think about, like, if you go, like, one step beyond, like, my dad is still very Egyptian of a dude. Like, they they raised me without the language, but still with, like, a lot of cultural aspects Mm -hmm. of being Egyptian. And they he raised me, he, like, made sure me and my brother knew, like, the sounds of, in Arabic, like, there's ayin and the ha. But they didn't teach me the language, so I know the I know the, like the sounds that I need to make, but not the actual words. And I still have a good amount of family in Egypt, even though quite a lot have immigrated here. Almost all of them live in Texas for some reason. I don't know why. Most of them are Coptic Orthodox. I think that's also a reason because that I like feel this in my Egyptian American American Egyptian kind of thing is because my dad. And my dad's family, all my dad's family, and like half of my mom's family are Coptic Orthodox, which is Christian Egyptian, Egyptian Christian. And my mom, half of her, so half is Coptic Orthodox, half is Methodist. So like my mom's like pretty liberal. <laughs> like she's definitely like believes in God kind of thing and was a Sunday school teacher, but like is very like what you believe in, what you believe in. Um, and my dad is like hardcore atheist, <laughs> like hardcore. Um, yeah, he started. He was, you know, Coptic Orthodox in Egypt. And then um, what he told me is that his brother, who was, I think, a priest in the church, he, people were reading philosophy, these philosophy books, and like arguing with my uncle. So my uncle was in college and he was like, I don't have time to read these books. So he gave them to my dad. He's like, you read them and let me know what they say so I can like argue them. My dad's reading these philosophy (laughs) books like, oh my God, (laughs) this shit is so crazy. Is God real? And like, and like, he's, yeah. So my uncle would never listen to this podcast. So it's okay. Um, My dad's like, don't tell your uncle that that's how it happened. But so my dad's like atheist. And so really the only way to meet a lot of like the Arab communities are through religion. Mm -hmm. And so like 
there's shit tons of Egyptians in Chicago. They're just all at the Coptic church or in a mosque or something. And so since we never went to the Coptic church, because my dad was like, absolutely, we're not going to go to the Coptic church. That's why like they decided, my mom and dad decided, they're, we're going to raise our children with some sort of belief system and religion because it's important. Mm-hmm. But like, we're going to be- decide that together. And that's how they decided Unitarian Universalism, um, the Unitarian Universalist church. Yeah, so... I don't think what else. (laughs) Yeah, I'm slowly not really trying to teach myself Arabic, but like, um, I would love to move back to Egypt because, like, the whole point is like my parents left Egypt to come here for more opportunities. But that's like a common phenomenon: is people leaving when they are able to, leaving places that aren't invested in, and then they never go back. And so I feel like, you know. They came here to create wealth and opportunities and like, you know, I'm doing good. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take some of these back to Egypt. (laughs) (laughs) Time to go back. But like, it's definitely not quite time, but I could definitely see myself moving to Egypt and like working with the community. But it has to be at a time where I just know more because I'm definitely way more connected with like the Chicago community. Mm Like, Chicago is, like, somewhere where I've come to, like, love and really kind of understand and create a really good network in Chicago of people who are community organizing and care about the city and ready to say, like, fuck you, let's fuck the machine, like, let's go, you know, young people. Chicago is cray-cray for young organizing. Like, people are like, oh, why haven't, if this shit didn't happen 40 years ago, why is it going to happen now? And I'm just like, because these young people are crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're going to make it happen. These young know? people, because half of these high schoolers are like all a part of this March for Our Lives movement. Mm-hmm. So like, they're all ready to community organize and like, yeah, it's really, really cool. Hope. Yeah. It's it's crazy amount of hope. I'm just like I don't even have to do it. Like these young people just like find their way. Awesome. I talk like I'm not a young person. <laughs> but I feel much old I feel like I'm forty. I'm just yeah, like funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like much older now with all these like youngins. But I like have to remind myself, I'm like, Alex, you're twenty two years old. You are young. <laughs> you doesn't mean you have to go out and get drunk. You are young <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So I hope to rekindle, slowly rekindle my Egyptian identity and teach myself Arabic. Is part of teaching yourself Arabic the goal of eventually going back to Egypt? Like, is that, or are you just doing it because you just want to learn it and your parents, unfortunately, didn't teach you? (laughs) And you just show up at home one day and just start talking to them in Arabic and be like, I taught myself. Oh my God, my mom and dad would be like, holy (laughs) shit. That would be so cool. Um, I think that there's no way I'm going to become fluent in Arabic without going to Egypt. I think that becoming fluent in Arabic is going to like entail me spending a good amount of time in Egypt doing something. I would love that to be like human rights education. I would love to be working in the edu- education system. But yeah, I would have to. I think that's the only way because I would want to learn egyptian arabic mm-hmm. including like the slang and the only way to really learn that yeah. is on the streets mm-hmm. and in the communities i'd have to go with people that are egyptian i mean that i am egyptian that like speak <laughs> arabic um but that are like egyptian egyptian kind of thing because that already know the slang or else no one's gonna take me seriously yeah. <laughs> they're gonna be like you're just an american yeah. you don't know anything which like true but Hopefully Are a lot of people there bilingual? Do they know English and Arabic? It's crazy. The U.S. education system is such a failure because... You don't learn anything. You don't learn anything. And in Egypt, like, yeah, almost everybody, they know Arabic and then they know either English or they know French or they know English and French or they we're know the a different language. don't do that. Yeah. It's so disappointing because here we're like oh you know english that's the most important language that's all you need to know everybody is gonna learn yours don't worry everyone's gonna learn yours like like like, let's continue the system of being ignorant in other countries and colonizing other countries and like this is the most important language right because higher education is in english on the most um so it's insane because i like can 
get away definitely with speaking and that's probably why like i can do that it's because of that yeah, system that's been set up it like promotes that american arrogance i feel like it's and it's awful because then people are like don't like you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, come here i think except for like france because they also have that their arrogance of their own they hate americans they hate them they i've hate, heard that yeah like because when i was in france when i went to high school and i was in france like i like knew my my french was a lot better so i like got by but like when my friend went to france in her year she mentioned that even though they all like knew how to speak french they only spoke english and it was like really really bad because if you go into a country and you're a guest yeah and you should and you know the language you understand you should speak their language you first speak the language and then they'll warm up to you and if you speak their language they'll know you're not from there mm-hmm. and they'll switch mm-hmm. and they'll be like oh where are you from that's yeah. how you like maintain a relationship <laughs> with countries like that if you go in like guns a blazing saying i'm american listen to me no one's gonna take you seriously yeah so, exactly yeah yeah I know. Yeah. Screw the British. Screw the French. <laughs> I'm like, people say screw the U.S., but I'm like, the U.S. was, like, founded through British and Italians. So, fuck all of that. <laughs> <laughs> the French. They started the mess. <laughs> they started all these messes. Just so messy. I'm just like, all this, the shit that's going on in the world... Like, can we just go to Britain and sell these jewels that, like, all these queens' jewels? <laughs> People just go yeah, in the museum and, like, look at all these jewels. And they're like, ooh, ah, the queen's jewels. <laughs> and it's like, number one, the queen doesn't have any power anymore. <laughs> Took all those powers away. So all of that money that the queen has, just now she's, there. like, they're, perf- they're purely a tourist attraction. So they make tons of money through tourism. But I'm just like, okay, great. But do we know, do we realize that, like, they're founded on colonialism and genocide? So, like, and slavery. So let's just, I mean, you just walk in, you see one of these crowns. Like, you have, like, 20 crowns. <laughs> so, like, I have these diamonds. If we sold one of these crowns, we might be able to, like, build tons of schools in Haiti or something. Right? Yeah. Or the U.S. I bet Britain itself needs that money. Like, people in Britain need that money. Sell those jewels. Just like, sell two crowns. Sell two crowns. Just two. Everybody's good. Distribute the wealth. Yeah. Just one. Just free sell college, a diamond. Free healthcare, free cars, free, free bikes, health- everything. I know, right? I mean, they are, they do have healthcare, right? They have universal yeah, healthcare. We don't have that. College. We just don't. Because we can't. Suffering. It's, yeah. <laughs> I know. I was sidetrack um alexandria carzu cortez you know that she had um that uh proposal for 70 percent tax on like the super wealthy for this green new deal and then i was looking at it and i was thinking about that because like people would be like oh my god 70 percent that's cray cray like that's way too much and i'm like well if someone has like 10 billion dollars <laughs> that's nothing yeah like literally a 70 percent is seven billion dollars they'll still have three billion dollars right <laughs> $3 billion is still be enough. a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, but like, you know, those people be like, just call me poor. <laughs> like, $3 billion, <laughs> like, just wasting away. Just walk out in sweatpants. Because they're so used to live on this. <laughs> yeah. How could I live on this? And I'm just like, $3 billion. Yeah. I'm like, that shit's crazy. I do not feel bad for you yeah, no. at all. Not for, yeah. I mean, that's like a global phenomenon. But like, the worst in Britain, France, Italy, Spain, where like all of this shit started. <laughs> Ooh, question. Um, so you mentioned that you say that you're American Egyptian, but your dad is like, no, you're Egyptian American. So do you feel like you say American Egyptian because you don't feel like you're enough of Egyptian, enough I, being enough of like like enough Egyptianness? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so. I like don't necessarily. I feel like I can't necessarily like claim Egyptianness. You know, mm-hmm. my Egyptian identity. I am a dual citizen, so I have Egyptian citizenship, which is cool. Um, but like when we were doing that, we were sitting in like the consulate, and like I'm like scared shitless that they're gonna talk to me because I'm like I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I have no clue. So I like feel like I'm like undercover. Uh-huh. My dad's like, like <laughs> you know. So I'm just like uh. And I don't feel like, you know, if I were to go to Egypt, like, I would not know anything. You know, I have family there that I would definitely go and stay with. But 
it just feels like it's like a foreign identity kind of thing. Yeah, and I just feel way more like I can claim that I'm an American mm. than I feel like I can claim that I'm Egyptian. But then, like, I fight myself in my head because I'm just like, no, Alex, literally your parents are, like, they were, like, from there, like, your first generation. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you're pretty darn Egyptian because, like, all of your family is Egyptian. Yeah. And, like, any family thing is, like, a bunch of Egyptians. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you're eating Egyptian food all the time. And, like, but I also think that I think part of it is also because so, like, all of my grandparents, my dad's parents, like, passed away before I was born. And then my mom's parents passed away by when I was five years old. So, I like, I've never really had grandparents and I feel like that is where a lot of, like, you know, society, community traditions come from are your grandparents. And so I think that's why, like, also I lost, like, a lot of that without having grandparents that, like, can talk to me in Arabic and, like, you know, have all, like, the – because, like, my grandma, very Egyptian – I mean, they're very Egyptian <laughs> people. So I feel like that would have helped. But yeah, I think that um, it's the language is like a big thing, yeah. like not speaking the language because it makes you feel, I think, a, like separate from the community that mm-hmm. I can't just go up and start like, blah, 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 you yeah. know, mm-hmm. in whatever phrases. Yeah. You mentioned that when you started going to DePaul, you finally like met a bunch of other people who are Egyptian as well. Do most of your friends now who are Egyptian speak Arabic? Um, are you all kind of, I wish we learned the language and our parents didn't teach us? <laughs> no, I'm like the only one that doesn't oh. speak Arabic. But they, uh, a couple of the friends that I made that are Egyptian, they, they all speak Arabic and they're very Egyptian, but we all speak English. Mm-hmm. I think it's because like you're in the US, you know, right, yeah. like it's nice when I'm with someone who's Egyptian cause, or Arab that I can just like you know, drop little Arab words mm-hmm. every here and there that kind of just, like, make sense. Because the language, like, it just, like, it makes sense to me because I've been literally raised hearing this language. Mm-hmm. So it's common to my ear, you know? I can right. listen and it doesn't sound completely foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll pick up on, like, whatever words. I just don't know any of the vocabulary mm-hmm. is yeah. just the issue. But, yeah, the Egyptian friends, you know just friends too though (laughs) i'm like they go back to egypt like every summer that's also a thing is that most egyptian families that have immigrated like to the u.s go back like every summer Mm -hmm. to egypt and like we never did that we only went you know the one time and so i think that's a big reason because like i really don't even know this country at all i just know that like my entire like history and ancestral lineage like goes back to this country and my parents and all my family speak this language and I know like the foods but like I'm American right. <laughs> kind of thing Chicago yeah. <laughs> Chicago I definitely relate to like everything you're saying because like my whole family's from Nigeria and like yeah. they all like are in Nigeria and it's like my mom my dad and my sister and I were born here so we're like first generation but like my parents did like a really good job raising us with the language but we also grew up in like all white communities Mm -hmm. like very white suburbs so even though we grew up with the language with the food with like the culture in our homes like eight hours of the day like however many hours that is times seven of the week (laughs) we're like in school with a bunch of like people that don't understand it don't get it will make fun of you because you look different sound different different food all of that and that like definitely carried into high school and I didn't get that like connection or like sense of like belonging until I got to like community college and I went to Harold Washington for a little bit and like when I was there like all I saw were like black people and like Africans, Nigerians. It was so Where'd you come from? Wild. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my gosh, where did you come from? Where, who are you? Oh. <laughs> but it's also like really, really shitty because like even though I know the language and I speak it, you can hear that I was born here. And like with that being like known, it's like, oh well, you're not actually like Nigerian, you're American. And I'm like, 
fighting people who look like me. <laughs> it's like, actually, yeah. I am Nigerian. And it's like, why would you say that? Like, Trying why? to take my identity. Yeah, it's like, you're not enough of this here because you're born here. You're not enough of this here because yeah. you were born here. And it's like, you have to fight yourself every single day to like feel like you belong in this area and this space because of the fact that you were only, this is all you know. And like, when I got to when I like transferred and went to like an actual university, I met people who were like in the same boat as me, who like had parents who were in like Nigeria or Ghana and like brought their kids here and didn't have other people who they could relate to. And then like mm. I became friends with them. And it's like, okay, we're all in like the same kind of like awkward boat of like not being enough, but also like being enough for each other type Aww. thing. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> so True. I definitely like get where you're coming from but like mm. it sucks because you want to be able to like speak fluently like, with everyone am I African? That, like, it's like am i african <laughs> enough like am i like like i don't think i've ever gotten to the point of like second guessing myself but like i've definitely been at and at the point where i'm just like oh i wish i had more like nigerian friends to speak like yoruba with and like yeah. have like dinners with and like eat out with like, are you fluent yeah like i under i understand it fluently yeah. but like i don't speak it as much now because I moved, A, and, like, I would speak it only with my parents and my yeah. sister. Like, I would have, like, no one else to speak it with. So, like, and my parents, like, taught it to us, but, like, how they taught it to us was, like, kind of, like, broken. Mm. So, like, we would understand each other, and, like, I was able to speak it enough for other Nigerians to understand me, but they would also be like, oh, it's so cute how she's speaking it. It's like, okay, Aww. well, <laughs> at least I'm that trying. Mean, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. There's like, cause there's like, like some people who like bring their kids like over like what you mentioned. I don't like teach their kids like the language, and I understand why that is because you don't want your kids to go through what you went through when you were here. Like the shit that my parents went through, and I'm assuming your parents also went through it too, was like awful. Like having to like defend your like right to be in this space because mm. of the fact that you don't look like them or sound like them like it's fucking sucks and like mm. you don't want your kid to ever have that experience of like loneliness or like not being accepted so you have to figure out a way to do it but like mm-hmm. in you figuring out that way to do it you're like inadvertently sacrificing their ability to like connect to other people who are mm. also part of that community so it's like really really like how do you deal with that? It's just like, feel. sucks. Like, <laughs> as you're getting older, it's like, okay, you're finding yourself to be more comfortable in, like, who you are, but it's like, oh, I wish. I wish, I wish, I wish. And all you can do is, like, yeah. work towards getting to a point where you're comfortable with yourself and, like, presenting that self to other people as your truth and all that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Those, like, I wish, I wish is, like, I wish I spoke Arabic. Wish I had been to Egypt more often. Mm-hmm. But, alas, <laughs> I can't change any of right now, so... Just try to go to Egypt, find my own time, go on my own self. Um, You're still young. Still young, right? You're right. You're still the youth. Still the youth. (laughs) But like old enough youths where I can like go travel on my own. Like buy a ticket and my parents can't be like, they can be mad, but they can't be that bad. Like they're like, they can't be like, you're not going. They can't be, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, are you going to move to Chicago and literally, like, get in the car <laughs> so I can't go because that's the only way. Are your parents out in Chicago? No, they're in Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, wow. So they they're moved... not in Michigan anymore either. Yeah, when I moved to Chicago, they moved to Kansas City, Missouri. We all just left Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now they're my dad's going to retire soon, so they're trying to move to, like, Evanston or, like, closer to us because okay. I'm, like, I could see myself living in Chicago for, like, a really long time. Mm-hmm um and like definitely traveling but like having chicago as like a good base yeah really like that yeah because also the kind of work that i do is definitely not like very like openly allowed in egypt Mm -hmm. like democracy human rights stuff especially since i'm like american like straight to some interrogation chamber (laughs) like straight disappear actually a cc who's the president of Egypt, he is on a sixty minutes. I think sixty minutes is trying. They tried. They I know tried. What you're say. Yeah, they but tried like interviewing him, they wouldn't. He wouldn't answer like any questions because 
He was like, wow. he was like, no, like they would be dangerous. No, I mean, like he just he refused. No, the president, like the president, was on sixty minutes. The president, yeah. yeah. And they, send, they even send them like questions ahead of time, so like so he would know what he yeah. was getting himself into. And like, as no. they were asking him the questions, he's like, I don't like this question. Next, I don't like the question. Next, he would take off his mic and he yeah. would be like, I'm not answering this question. Wow. And they interview the interviewees, and they're like, <laughs> Why didn't he answer any questions? Really, they're like, I don't, I don't know. Well, like, so it was like a waste of time. Yeah, like he. Like sorry, you should say it wasn't like I mean it was good to see that yeah, because no, it's like to see how like yeah one strange. of the questions was like in a human rights watch report mm-hmm. it says that this amount of like political prisoners it's like a shit ton of political prisoners mm-hmm. are just being detained in mm-hmm. your country can you speak to that and he was like I don't know where you got that figure mm-hmm. it's like she literally just said human rights watch <laughs> like <laughs> you're quoted. obviously not listening like yeah and it's yeah he so many people. Wow. really are not a fan of him also yeah egypt has this revolution like the military took over for a while and then they had like elections but a cc was like like one of the highest ranking in the military so like if he wins is it still the mail military running egypt wow. and yeah so it's really problematic because there's so many political prisoners and like just human beings that are being tried in military courts which is like absolutely horrendous imagine like being imagine like going and protesting for your like just going out to a chicago protest and then being sent to military like american military court sounds horrible um and that's also like something is like seeing how messed up so many things in egypt are i mean i talk about it but like you can still go to Egypt and, like, go tour. It's still, like, gorgeous. And, like, the majority of people are, like, still, like, they have their fun. Like, my parents, like, went to Egypt expecting to see some shit. And then my uncle that was there was, like, they went out to, like, a club. And, like, people are on the streets <laughs> going to coffee shops. And he's, like, look at all the terrorism. <laughs> it's, like, not. It's certain parts um, of Egypt, like the Sinai. Um, but that's because of, like, also, like, a lot of issues with, like, Israel that are going on. Um, and like border issues. But if you're trying to do, you know, political work or democracy work there, it's very like squashed. And I, and a lot of that military money like is coming from the US. Like <laughs> that's where like they're getting a lot of their money mm-hmm. for all of these, whether it's like bombs or guns, whatever. A lot of it's coming from like US giving funding. Or, like, if it's through U.S. aid to Egypt, and then the money doesn't make its way to the people, it makes its way to arms deals. And so that's also part of me is, like, is the best thing that I can do for Egypt working in the U.S. to, like, get our shit straight. Because, like, the U.S. Congress, as we know, number one is shut down right now. (laughs) And, but at the same time, is still sending tons of money all over the world for militaries fucking wild got sidetracked <laughs> no it was great it was great <laughs> no qualms about that yeah so it's almost time to wrap up but before we wrap i wanted to ask one more question about um how do you experience your egyptian identity intersecting with your queer questioning identity um so if i were in egypt like that queer questioning would never even come up like there are you're not gay you're not queer queer that's not even a word in egypt like that wouldn't people would have no clue what you're talking about um it's just definitely not allowed Mm -hmm. so i think that like in the u.s being raised american that has what has like allowed me to like you know explore my queerness and whatever that means to me and that's definitely not even just being American, but purely from being in Chicago. Because even when I was in Michigan in that white flight neighborhood, like what comes with like that. So when I say like white, I don't necessarily just mean like skin color. Like white, I think is like a specific like mentality of like colonialist. Like there's tons of like Caucasian people that like I don't consider white. You know, like they might have white privilege because of their skin color, but like not, I wouldn't call them white. And so that was something that white flight when that happened from Detroit and like the neighborhood I was in, it was very, I think with that white mentality is also like the anti-gay homophobic uh, mentality. And that was very present in my high school. Like there was 
definitely like several gay people um especially like gay men and they like did like they wouldn't come out like it was very like faux pas kind of thing like that person was gay i think that person's gay um there was a lesbian couple and like that was like they were like weird kind of thing like it was like the they were weird kind of thing and so me myself i like never even touched that it was very like you know don't even think about it you know straight just be straight and then coming to chicago I was like, damn, everyone's pretty open. <laughs> like, I was like, all my girlfriends are like, we have girlfriends, like real girlfriends. And I was like, oh, do you? And like, um, or like, it's just more in conversation where it's like, someone will say, oh, yeah, I saw this guy go on a date with this girl tomorrow. And I'm like, <laughs> and then like that just like the language just becomes so much more normalized. Mm-hmm. And I also moved to like Boys Town. So it's like, um, (laughs) very gay. Um, and just like, you know, going to, um, I think it's also, my parents are like very liberal, but also like pretty Egyptian. So like they say they're very open, but like if I were to bring a girl home, I think that they would, my, I think my dad would be more open. I actually have no clue, but I think He's like, there's no God, bring home whoever you want. Bring home whatever you want. Nobody's (laughs) judging. But, um... Yeah, so I think that, like, just being, and I also think it's, like, a a kind of a new age also with, like, the Me Too movement and, like, that one girl who, like, went viral saying, like, everyone's a slut, I'm a slut, you're a slut, like, like, that shit went viral because people vibed with it so much of, like, shut up, like, using that word Mm. in such a degrading way, especially in only two women, Mm. is, like, it's kind of like that was such a good like shut up like slap in the face moment where it's like we can all be sluts like it doesn't matter and like don't identify me solely in that way and so I think like being it's interesting because with my queer identity it's just less of like gay straight whatever it's more of just like understanding that in like in my understanding like, I don't think anyone's, like, 100% gay or 100% straight because, like, we're human beings. So we're, like, crazy all over the place all the time with our identities. So, like, you – I mean, I think a lot of people say it's, like, a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's definitely with me. It's not even, like, gay or straight. It's, like, human beings and what who you're attracted to. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's not something that I could ever do if I was raised in the Coptic Orthodox Church, like that would not be a conversation ever. I would marry a man from the Coptic Orthodox Church. Egyptian men aren't the most attractive, to be honest, unless they're mixed with something else. It's <laughs> gonna go live. All Egyptian men are gonna be like, Shh, fuck you. Egyptian women, gorgeous, on the other hand, but Egyptian men, <laughs> like, and if I was raised in like more of like an Arab traditional or even in Egypt, like, that's never something I would have come around to, or, like, even considered, like, having a relationship with a woman, or someone who doesn't identify, like, as a man, but, yes, I think, like, in Chicago, that's really been amazing, and, like, not just my American identity, but my Chicago identity, because, like, there's many places in the U.S. where, like, it would have been the exact same as being in a Coptic Orthodox church, but it's nice here that, like, especially, like, the group that I've, because even, there are even parts of Chicago, probably, that, like, you don't want to come out, but I think through also being at DePaul and being a peace justice conflict studies major, super social justice people, like I've just, you know, met people that are like, I'm, I don't even want to like start listing out what I like, <laughs> insult someone who actually identifies, but like all these different things where I'm like, damn, like my parents over here are struggling with gay and straight and like <laughs> trans and you're over here like completely different identity. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I can just be me yeah. <laughs> and my whatever that is. That's awesome. Do you have anything or anything else that you want to like shamelessly plug? I would definitely plug Chicago Votes again. Like, we're on Instagram, Chicago Votes, Twitter. Um, We have a Facebook. We have events going on throughout the city. You know, if you're a creative in Chicago that cares about young people of color getting out here, having our voices heard, you know, get involved with us. We have so many ways to plug in, especially if you go on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Hit me up. Alex at ChicagoVotes.com is my email. 
I don't have a Twitter or Instagram. I do have a Facebook, though. <laughs> Unplug the election, since this is going to be for it. Yeah, Please. February 26th is the election. It's such a big election, just because, like, if you think about, like, the city of Chicago, like, all the people who have, like, the mayors basically right now how the machine works the mayor is the king of chicago and the aldermen don't do shit and they're just like agree with the mayor this election we this is like a golden opportunity to completely change that and like just break chicago machine like maybe not break it but like maybe break it (laughs) restructure it all just completely restructure and like how democracy should work and how like we have a mayor who does the executive orders but we have a city council that can hold that mayor accountable Mm -hmm. and we have like the judicial election is the one that just passed like we just voted on like a shit ton of judges Mm -hmm. and this was probably like the biggest turnout for judges that there's ever been because i voted for judges for the first time this yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. it's crazy um that like and that's the thing is like that turnout amongst young people has really just like skyrocketed because this election think about all the free things that we could and also like not even free things just think about like the potholes mm-hmm. every time you're driving and you see a pothole think about that every Hello. time you see rats think about that like every time <laughs> you see like just like your neighborhood and it looks like hmm this neighborhood doesn't really look like that other neighborhood it looks like that one's invested a little bit more these are all things that like your alderman and your mayor can completely change a year in a year some of the most disinvested neighborhoods like one after like a year after february 26 like give it like one year and like you'll see crazy changes because we would have elected people so this is side to Chicago votes, not at all <laughs> Chicago <laughs> votes. This is my personal plugs is like if you're in the 49th Ward in Rogers Park, like Maria had in all the freaking way. I love Maria. I've like, known her for a long time. All She's the freaking way. So, yeah, we're wouldn't typically take political stance, but I've known Maria for a very long time. Oh, my She's God. Amazing. Like if so, you want someone to really care, mm-hmm. she'll she'll do stuff in this neighborhood already she absolutely would she's very dedicated and committed and i um met her through volunteering we're in rogers park right now so it's fitting (laughs) and she's amazing yeah so her birdo in the 15th ward like people who because he's like literally a community organizer he's 24 years old so he's also young and like he's someone who was gangbanging when he was younger because that's the life Mm -hmm. and like started change his life to do community organizing and so like he's someone who has roots in back of the yards and someone who like really cares then if he were to have the power of an alderman like if you see back of the yards now oh my gosh like it completely changed with like schools and like just the way it looks and after school programs because he already started increasing the peace which is like a major youth empowerment program so he already did it it's like we need to start looking for people when you're looking for who you're gonna elect don't look at people who are saying it doesn't matter i don't give a shit what they're saying <laughs> like yeah. look at what they've done already yeah you know and i think the bottom line really is like you don't have to necessarily vote for the people we're plugging but do your research yeah. do, like, your really research. do your research i think is the most important who represents thing. And then go you. out there and vote for who you think represents what you want to see change yeah yeah and then yeah. a big way you can tell who these who the good candidates are that actually care are the ones when you go on like their facebook page because the good ones have a facebook page <laughs> if they don't that means they're too old for a facebook page and they shouldn't <laughs> be in Chicago, the average age of Chicago is 33. So if you are too old for a Facebook page, you don't know how to ad- adequately like advocate for your population. So go on their Facebook page. And if they have tons of ways to get involved, that means they want you to be involved. And that means they want, you know, community. If they have nothing, then they don't want you to be involved in their campaign. And they're, they just want, you know, to win on money. So I'll stop my political rant. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories. Also check out the creator of our podcast music, B. Steadwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C. and you can check out her music at bsteadwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk, Talk to you all, all next week. week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. I remember I came out as like 
not straight before I came out as trans, and she actually encouraged it. Because she I was like, we were in the car with my brother, and she's just like, I need you to go on birth control. And then that's what I'm like, but I like girls. Beyond, beyond the earth.